You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. All right, so uh, was Josh that read Matthew 16, right, this morning, and so I want to kind of pick up from there. So it's always great when the spontaneous contributions kind of fit in with where, where we want to launch off from the word perspective. Um, and so I, I want to kind of base what I'm talking about this morning. We're obviously on this lead into Easter, um, and we're really kind of focusing in on the gospel, on the, on the good news of what Jesus did. Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to highlight out of what Marcus brought to us. So Marcus came in from South Africa uh, probably a month ago now, but he, he, he highlighted some key things that I feel like are critical for us to just kind of massage into ourselves in a sense as a community. And he said this, he said, if we were to fully understand or fully grasp the gospel, we would be the loudest voices on the planet. And then he said this, he says, we are ashamed of the gospel because we are ignorant. We are ashamed because we are ignorant. In other words, we don't fully grasp the full weight and the full glory, the full substance of what Jesus did for us. And because of that, we hold back. And so really, you know, if, you, if we ask, well, what is our response to that? Well, our response to that is this, is to give ourselves to the gospel, to, to dig deep, to, to, to see and to grasp the full weight of how high, how long, how wide, how deep is the love that Jesus expressed to us in the cross, right? It's to dig deep in the cross, to make the cross, in a sense, the centrality of what we're talking about. And it's interesting that Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, what he glories in, he doesn't glory in, in churches planting it. He glories in the gospel preached and people saved. And I want to say to us, as we continue to press forward with seeing churches established, seeing churches planted across the nations, we're really looking for guys to be saved, guys to come to salvation, and out of that, churches to be established. Right? Otherwise, it feels a little imperialistic. We're not going to just take our brand to the nations. That's not the point, right? The point is not to take the brand, Redemption City or NCMI, to the nations. The point is to take the gospel to see people come to salvation. The point is to see radical converts, people 180 degrees, lives turned around. That's the point, right? It's more important, I mean, Dudley for years said it's more important what people are saved into than what they saved out of. So there is some reality to the fact that we're trying to put churches together that reflect something of the life of God, the New Testament life of God. But we're not just moving, in a sense, moving, aiming to move believers around, right? It is intriguing that much of what people call church growth is actually more about church transfer. People move, believers moving between churches, and really that's not what we're shooting for. And so Matthew 16, I want to pick up actually where Josh left off. So, so Joshua read Matthew 16 and Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to his disciples, who 
do you say, or who do the people say I am? And then he zooms in and he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter is the one that has the revelation, right? You are the Christ, right? The Son of the living God. You are, did I just disappear? Yes. You are Messiah, right? You are Messiah. And so Peter is totally rocked by this revelation. Here's the one that's coming to save us, right? But he totally misunderstands what it was about. Because straight after that, since from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter takes, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke Jesus, and he said, Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So it's interesting that Peter in his mind, Peter in his mind, when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, it's almost like in his head he had Jesus the superhero, you know. I need a hero. You know, what's the song? <laughs> I need a savior. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you know, he's looking for the white knight that's going to come in and rescue him, right? They're looking for the deliverer of Israel, the one that's going to come and break the Roman oppression. But Jesus, immediately after that revelation, he says, no, the, the centrality, the central point, my whole mission here is the cross. And Peter just doesn't get it. He's like, I'm looking for a hero and you're telling me you're going to die on a cross. That you're going to be killed, you know, as a criminal, right? You're going to die as a criminal, yeah. And so sometimes it's like we, 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 we glory in who Jesus is. Yes, we do. But interesting enough, it's not Jesus himself that saves us. What he did saves us. The cross saves us. The victory that he achieved on the cross is what saves us. And so sometimes we want to look at Jesus and we say, he is our hero, but he's our hero because of the sacrifice that he made. He's our hero because of the price that he paid. He's our hero because of the victory that he won on our behalf. He's our hero because he took the penalty and the pain and the punishment of sin that we deserved for ourselves, he took it on himself and paid it for us. And so it really puts the cross right at the center. It's interesting when you look at Revelation 4 and 5, which, which is almost like a little window into heaven, it says at the center was the throne. But at the center of the throne is what? In Revelation 4 and 5 it says this, it says the lamb who was slain. Even in eternity, at the very center is the Lamb who was slain, is the cross. There was a British, a British poet, monk, and he wrote this. He said, the cross is the abyss of wonders. 
It is the center of desires. It is the school of virtue. It is the house of wisdom. It is the throne of love. It is the theater of joys. In the place of sorrows, it is the root of happiness and the gate of heaven. That's the cross. Let me tell you, we can't spend enough time. How, how, do, you, how do you write words like that without saturating yourself, without meditating, without grappling with exactly what transpired on the cross without spending hours and hours and hours just thinking through and meditating and saturating yourself in the word around what the cross actually was the school of virtues it sets the platform it is the school for us of what is virtuous right it is the throne you know the throne of love it is the royal expression of love that's the cross right and, it, and, it, and there's no wonder why Paul says our glory in the gospel, right? Our glory in the cross, our glory in what Jesus accomplished for us. It's intriguing, you know, because, you know, imagine, imagine you looking, you searching the world for like the most spectacular views, you know, the greatest vistas. Um, and you search the whole planet and then you end up right back where you started and you go out to Rocky Mountain and there's the most majestic vistas that you could find, right? And sometimes we want to go searching everywhere else. We go search around the world and then we come back to the same place. Actually, you know what? The solution, my salvation, my deliverance, my freedom is right here in the cross. It was right in front of my face the whole time. And I never plumbed the depths of what Jesus actually had for me. And so I think the reality for me is, as, as, you know, these are things that I've grappled with over years. It's like if, you know, Jesus said when, when he died on the cross, he says, it is finished, right? It is completely complete. Everything that was needed to transform us from broken, frail human beings, right? Sinful, distorted by sin. Everything that needed to be done has been done. And my question has always been, well, then how come we continue to live in such brokenness, such, such weakness, such failings? You know what I mean? How come? Well, it's because we haven't plumbed the depths of the cross. We haven't made it our own. We haven't, we've, we've looked everywhere else for solutions. Let me tell you this, counseling can be helpful. Therapy can be helpful, but many times therapy just points out the issue, but does not finish it. Let me tell you, the cross has the power to finish it, to end it, to break, right? To break and close the door. You know, you know I think Alcoholics Anonymous does a great job. But the daily or that, that ongoing confession of like, I'm an alcoholic. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel is this, is that actually God so saves us and so redeems us and so finishes it. That actually our identity isn't rest, doesn't stop there. It goes further than that. To the point where actually that stuff is done and is finished. I remember when I was in the military, um, 
they kind of over, what, what's the word? They, they called too many people up into this one particular uh, division that we were a part of. And they didn't have enough place to put us. So they literally just pitched a, a number of tents on the, on the dirt. <clears throat> and so uh, we lived in a tent on dirt for three months. Um, during, our, during our basic training, you know. Um, so before inspections, it all had to be raked, you know, so all the lines, and then you basically rake to your foot where you're standing, and then you hide the rake, pass the rake around, try and hide it under the bed so it didn't show up anyway. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> but I remember they were like, okay, you need to, you need to pave the floor, so they gave us a whole pile of bricks, and we were we were busy trying to figure out a good way to, uh, to carry a whole lot of bricks at the same time. And so we took a door off a cupboard and we loaded it up with bricks. And so I was walking along like this and uh, with a whole stack of bricks and actually ended up tripping. And that door with loaded with bricks landed on this finger. And so needless to say, I almost chopped, because it was a steel cupboard door, right? I almost chopped the end of this finger off. And so you can still see the scar. There was a Navy doctor that stitched it together and unfortunately he didn't do a great job. <laughs> you can still see the scar. But let me say this. There's no pain associated with this anymore. You can still see the scar, right? There's still some marks. But there's no pain. And let me tell you, that's, that's what God wants to do in terms of saving and redeeming us. Yes, Yes, stuff happens. Yes, we go through stuff that sometimes is a fault of others. Sometimes it's our own fault. Right? But God so heals, so restores that while there may be the, the scar, the outer visibility, there's no pain associated with it anymore. Sometimes, sometimes, in your interaction with people, sometimes something happens and you suddenly realize your reaction is totally out of uh, out of proportion with the trigger, right? What is that? Well, many times that's undealt with stuff. That's adding intensity and adding pain and adding, um, you know, a heightened response when really the trigger was not there. And so God wants us to deal with that stuff, right? To engage. And so let me say this. We, we often want to look for some other spiritual methodology or some new spiritual technology, right? Some new therapy or some, some new fad out there. But the bottom line is that actually all that we need is here in the Word. All that we need is here in the cross. And actually if we go back to the Word and back to what the Word says, actually we start to walk in the freedom that God intends for us. Never seen, I've been, you know, I've been around for a while now. <laughs> I got saved when I was 13, which right now is like 37 years ago. Gave my life to Christ in a school classroom. Um, this friend of mine, I was raised in an Anglican church, but this friend of mine got on my case for months and just said, Andrew, you're not a Christian until you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. And he basically bugged me until it was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. And then one afternoon, after school, we just prayed in this classroom, and I said, okay, God, 
Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. And honestly, God met with me that night on my bed and in that following weekend. Just God just totally touched and transformed me. So I've been around 37 years ago. Um, wow. And I've never... Okay. <laughs> 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 I've never... It's interesting because over the years you see certain things emerge and, and, and they look like great ideas and then... And then somehow they have like a hidden flaw that comes out after a couple of years. You know. um, and these different trends and fads emerge. But let me tell you, when you come back to the cross, the cross is unfading in its glory and its wonder, right? <clears throat> so let's, let's look at Romans 3.21 if you've got a device or a Bible or something or not. <clears throat> but Romans 3, it says this, because I think it's important for us this morning. I want to kind of dig into something a little more practical for us, because I think, I think it's great to know about the cross, but if you can't make it your own, you know, it's almost worthless, right? <clears throat> it says this, Now a righteousness from God... In verse 21, apart from the law has been known, been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness come from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, and it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me tell you, the Bible doesn't kind of cast a light on the world and say the world is inherently good and just needs a little help. Actually, what the Bible says is the world is inherently twisted by sin and is less than what God intended. Every one of us falls short. It's interesting because the word there is actually rooted in the word aberration. We are an aberration from what God intended, what God made. God has created, made us a certain way. We are less than, we are distorted by sin. And so all, all have sinned, every single one of us, right? You know, it's interesting, we used to ask, uh, we asked, asked people this question, you know, have you ever lied? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah? Well, how many lies does it take to make a liar? How many people do you have to be killed to be a murderer? Three? <laughs> One? <laughs> to the bright sparks in the front row. <laughs> and you just very quickly realize if you've been alive for any length of time, you have tasted the reality of your own sin and brokenness, right? Romans 6 Verse 23 goes on and says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When, we, when, when sin is at work, death is at work. And I think the challenge for us is that we see death at work. We see death at work in our relationships. We see death at work in our friendships. We see death at work in our own hearts and in our own lives, right? Where sin, when habitual sin, where sinful patterns are not broken, when we, when we are without Christ, in a sense, those 
ongoing sinful patterns actually begin to sow death and destruction into our lives. We see death in our finances, right? How many of you have ever been in those situations where you see something so good and in your arrogance, in a sense, you reach out to grab a hold of it and make it yours and in the process, it's like you kill it. And it fades to nothing. It becomes dust like dust in your hands. Because you thought you could make it happen yourself. You thought you could save yourself. You thought you could redeem yourself. Whereas in reality, we need a savior, right? And so you realize that, that sin, sin is, not, sin is not something that is uh, something arbitrary. God didn't arbitrarily decide that sin was sin and good was good. It wasn't an arbitrary decision. Sin is sin because sin is destructive. Sin is sin because it destroys, right? Sin is sin because it is the total antithesis to who God is. God is good. Is patient, is loving, is kind, is generous, is merciful. God is just. He's all those things. And sin become, is the opposite, is the antithesis to that. And so when you think about God as creator, springing this world into being with the, with the intent that actually this would be a place of, of harmony and love and joy and all those things, you realize that actually the entry of sin was destructive. It was an aberration. It became, this world became something that God never intended it for, for it to be. Sin entered in, and through sin, we all tasted death. We live with the consequences. It's interesting because C.S. Lewis says this. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, in our consciences but shouts in our pains. It is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Interesting, Eugene Peterson says this in his book, Five Smooth Stones. He says this, Most pastors go around putting out fires that Jesus lit. We so, we so want to we so merciful, we so want to ease people's pain. We so want to help them avoid the consequences of their actions, right? And yet in many ways, God is at work trying to reach them. God is shouting and they are deaf, you know what I mean? And so we don't want to stand in the way and say, well, we, we're going to interrupt God's plans and purposes by saying, you know, they're there, it's okay, it's going to be all right doesn't matter if you keep doing that, it's going to be okay. No, it's not. You're going to persist in those patterns. Actually, you're going to persist in, in sowing and reaping from death and destruction. You're going to sow to please the flesh or please what you want. You know, you're going to keep going your own way. And in going your own way, you're going to reap the consequences of that. I love Isaiah 53, which is a great picture of the cross. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. How, how, much, how is that an expression of, of this culture, of this world that we live in? 
I'm going to do my thing. I won't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do my thing. Each of us has gone our own way. We did what we thought was best in our own eyes, right? And it says, the Lord has laid on him, who? On Jesus. The iniquity of us all. That word iniquity is really about consequences, about punishment. So we went our own way and God laid on Jesus the punishment, the consequences of those actions. And so our response, our response is to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for the victory that you won. Thank you that you satisfy the demands of justice, right? We keep hearing, I don't know if it's, it's in this culture that we live in or in this, this time, you know, it's like, how can a good God send good people to hell? You know? How can a good God send people to hell? Well, let me tell you, justice demands it. Justice demands it. Let me tell you this, justice is an expression of love. Justice is an expression of love for victims. Does it make sense? Justice is an expression of love for victims. If you go before a court and God forbid some member of your family is kidnapped and I don't know, some pedophile, you know, takes them and destroys them. And you're in court, there's this, there's this cry in humanity, right, in all of mankind, that says, let justice be done. Let justice be done. And if the judge is a loving judge, he says, it's okay, he said sorry, so it's all good now, he can go free. Would you say that's a good judge? No, actually, that's a wicked judge, right? Because there's no love for the victim in the process. And so many of us, the, the, the simple reality for us is that many of us find ourselves on the wrong side of justice. And so we come to the cross. And we are grateful, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for justice that I should have paid. You paid it for me. I want to land with one, one last scripture and then we're going we're gonna to spend some time praying. In First uh, John 1 verse 8, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves, right? And it says that the truth is not in us. The truth there is the word Aletheia, reality. It's unveiled reality, eternal reality. It says the truth is not in us. But it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness, it really only exists in contrast to righteousness. And so the underlying word there, it, it's, it's almost like when I used the word aberration earlier, it's really saying I'm going to 
I'm going to cleanse you or forgive you from any aberration, any living in less than what I've planned for you. Right? But the, the word that I want to just pick up on though is the word confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. C.S. Lewis says this, says unforgived sin is unconfessed sin. There is an engagement through confession that actually applies, in a sense, the victory that Jesus won to our hearts and to our lives. I love, uh, I love Psalm 32, because David, David has been caught out with Bathsheba, right? And so David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's arranged to have her husband murdered, um, and he's, he's killed and the prophet Nathan comes to David and uh, confronts him. And Psalm 32 is kind of, kind of an expression of that, or an outworking of that confrontation, right? And uh, he goes on to say this. He says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, I'm not lying to myself. Blessed is the man who's not lying to himself, right? When I kept silence, says my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And there's things in our lives that the Holy Spirit's trying to deal with, trying to work with. It's like his hand is heavy on us. And it's so easy for us to comfort each other and say, there, there, it's going to be okay. But let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit is on you and His hand is heavy on you, saying, hey, make the adjustments, make the changes, then actually we need to respond. We need to respond in confession and repentance, right? It says, for day and night your, heavy, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then it says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love the amplified version of this because it says, it says, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord. And it says this, continually unfolding the past until all is told. Continually unfolding the past until all is told. How do we plumb the depths of the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross? Well, let me tell you, confession is one key. I'm not talking about confession as in Roman Catholicism, go find a priest to confess. But I am saying that sometimes we've lost that discipline of confession. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to you, this thing, and I'm going I'm to engage with you. Jesus, help me understand what's going on here. I, I confess my sin, my brokenness. I'm going to continually unfold the past until all is told. I'm going to continue to wrestle with this with you until actually there's revelation and insight and I understand what's actually going on. Until actually I get free. Until this thing no longer is like a ball and chain around my ankle, right? I'm going to continue to engage and wrestle with you until I walk in victory. Yes. Remember when Sue went through a, a tough time, probably about seven years in, I think, to our marriage. And I was involved in full-time ministry at the time. And uh, 
We worked long and hard. I mean, I probably worked six days a week, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, just hard work. <laughs> um, long hours. But motivated by something that was a little skewed, to be honest. And uh, I remember it, it led to some difficulties in our marriage, mostly because I never saw Sue, and, or hardly ever saw Sue. And uh, we had the boys, Evan and Matt had just been born, and Sue was kind of on her own. And uh, it actually got to the point where Sue the one time said to me, he said, you know, ministry is like, a, like this is like adultery. Your mistress is ministry. And uh, that caused some difficulties. Because <clears throat> it's ministry. Of course it's good, right? <laughs> Paint this false flag, right? And what, I, what I had to grapple with in that season was realizing that actually there, there was something broken about my approach to ministry. Um, I was so driven so fearful in many ways of dropping the ball, so fearful of being called out, so bent towards guys that I perceive to be successful, right? And so driven to kind of mimic them and imitate them, that actually it was, it was rooted in the whole thing, in, in, in a whole broken, a whole nother set of issues. And to be honest, in grappling with God and, and trying to work these things through, Dealing with this issue of confession, God, you know, the, you know, so many times when we just say, I'm sorry, it's just like chopping off the surface. You're just, you're just clearing away the weeds, but you know with weeds, if you don't dig out the roots, the weed just grows back like that. And so sometimes when there's habitual stuff, stuff that just keeps coming up again and again and again, our confession is too superficial. We just chop off the weeds, but we didn't deal with the roots. And so this whole process of confession, of engaging with God, remember engaging with God and crying out to God, God, I don't understand what's happening, what's going on, I don't get it. You know what I mean? And eventually God brought me back actually to just within weeks of being saved. He took me back to one encounter. And it was an encounter with my dad. My dad was unsaved at the time. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I've given my life to Jesus, right? Very vulnerably. Dad, I've given my life to Jesus. I've had this encounter with the Holy Spirit and I've started speaking in tongues. And my dad just said, oh, this is just your religious phase. Says, this, was mad. this is mass hysteria. You'll get over it. And God took me back to that time and I realized what I said to myself in that moment. Was I said, Dad, I will show you. I will show you. And that statement, that vow, I will show you, led to 10 years of sacrificial Christianity, sacrificial ministry, not as much rooted in a desire to serve Jesus. It's always mixed, right? It's mixed motives. That there were good things in that season, but there were also many things that I did actually out of a broken attempt to prove to my dad that actually this was the real deal. And to be honest, in, in that place of confession, God opening my eyes to see the reality, it's like, he said, Andrew, you should have said something different. He said, you should have said, 
God, won't you show him through me? God, won't you show him through me? You know what? That transaction obviously broke a whole lot of stuff off me. Suddenly I was free, forgiveness, right? Sin, all that stuff just comes off you. Immediately, it's just like your eyes are opened. Immediately that stuff comes off. And you realize your vulnerability to, to people's, why, why am I such a man pleaser and all that kind of stuff. It's not because you're not strong enough. Many times it's because there's other things going in your, on in your heart that you don't even know about. God breaks that stuff off us, right? You know what's amazing? It wasn't long after that. I prayed for my dad for all those years. It wasn't long after that. My dad just randomly announced. We were sitting at the dinner table. My dad randomly announced, says, I'm going to get baptized. And all of us were like, what? <laughs> because there's such a shock as a 56-year-old adult man. Like, I'm gonna get baptized. Let me tell you, I, I think I was the obstacle to my father getting saved. Because of my pride and my arrogance and my self-sufficiency, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna make it happen. That actually all my prayers, in a sense, potentially were obstacles rather than yeah. rather than the solution, right? That's the kind of engagement we're talking about. How do you make the cross yours? How do you walk in the freedom that the cross brings? How, do you, how does it apply to you on a day-to-day -day basis that you're not governed by things that you don't even understand in your own heart and your own mind? It's by bowing your knee to Jesus. Right? In a sense, saying, look, I know I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem, restore myself. Jesus, you alone are Savior. You alone are Lord. I've gone my own way. I choose to go your way. I choose to surrender my life to you and to your control. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Just take a moment to bow our heads. Bow our heads this morning. Jesus, we want to confess that the gospel, the good news, the cross, what you did, is absolutely pivotal, absolutely central. It's the dividing line of history cross. Lord, that we get saved by turning our eyes and looking back to the victory that you won there. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, 
Faith is the gaze of the soul on a saving God. Lord, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our eyes to the cross. We turn our eyes for, to the price that you paid. Thank you that you satisfied the demands of justice on our behalf. The pain, Lord God, the penalty, the presence, Lord, of sin that you took on yourself. Thank you, Lord, that the word that your word says that he who had no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, thank you that you became sin so that we can stand righteous. Just very aware this morning that there may be some in our midst. Jesus is not some new Tony Robinson style self-help deal. Jesus is Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, in a sense he's not Lord at all. So in the same way that friend of mine said to me, Andrew, you're not a Christian until you've confessed Jesus as Lord of your life. Until you've surrendered every facet of your life to him. I want to say the same thing to you this morning you're not a Christian unless you've confessed with your mouth Jesus you are Lord of my life Romans 10 it goes on to say because it is with you with your heart that you believe right but it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord even if you have responded before even if you have given your life to Christ, even if you've walked many years with Christ, won't you raise your hands with me this morning and let's make that confession. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Every, every need of mine is satisfied in you. Every desire, every aspiration, every dream, is satisfied in you and in you alone. Every sin is covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to make our good confession this morning. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you if, you, if you'd like someone to stand with you, to pray with you this morning. There may be some things that you know you're wrestling with, that you've yet to kind of break through on, right? Areas where you know there's things going on in your heart and in your life, where you know you're still, in a sense, living with the weight. You're still living with the consequences, the penalty of those things. Sometimes God takes us through seasons where it's almost like that death at work is so visceral, it's so, it's so in our mouth, it's so visible to us. 
And yet we feel like we are powerless to break free. And I feel like there's some, things, some people this morning where God just wants to break some things off you. To settle some things. To finish some things. To be done with some things. Rather than to continue to live with a limp. To continue to live in those same broken cycles. right? To continue to live in those same perpetual like going round and round the same mountain, round and round and round and round. You're going in circles and circles and circles. And so I want to give the opportunity to you. If you'd love someone to pray with you, I have some guys just up front, some of the elders, um, some of the deacons just available to pray with you this morning. We're going to continue just to kind of dig into this, into this amazing salvation, right? This glorious salvation. As we lean into Easter, really just trusting that we'll see guys um, come to salvation. We're trusting for radical converts, right? People's lives totally turned around because of what Jesus has done. Yes, yes, yes. So God bless you guys. Thank you for coming out today. Trust that you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, well done, Andrew. Well, well done. a great reminder of what the gospel is and what Jesus did for everyone on the cross and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to the next few Sundays covering that it's also just just really stirred you know don't know what everyone's background is church wise but you know some of us come out of things where it's completely works based you know like am I doing enough and and Andrew touched on that, like I'm doing more and more, and it's like I'm trying to prove my salvation, I'm trying to prove my worth in Jesus, and you know, when he said it's finished, that that definition of finished is, it's completely complete, like you, you can't get any more complete, you can't get any more finished than what he did on the cross, and so, yeah, I just pray that the, if anyone's in that scenario, that the Lord would just release you. You know, our, our good works is a, is, is a result of our love for him. It's not a result of us trying to, like, earn salvation or earn um, what Jesus did on the cross because he's already done it. So just really stirred by that. Just let that gospel message just sink into your heart. Let it heal you, but also let it equip us to go and help, help use that gospel to heal people that are struggling with those exact same things and bring them into the kingdom. Thank you guys so much for being here.